Welcome to The Herd Mentality, everyone, and joining me today from beyond the grave is the previous pastor of the Westboro Baptist Church, Fred Phelps. Fred, welcome to the show. Just shut up and let me do a little bit of the talk. A pleasure to have you. And it's only going to get worse. Now, you're best known for your signs and placards denouncing homosexuality. Yes. And that's good Bible preaching, and I'm a Bible preacher. Now, back when you were alive, you spent a lot of time thinking about what other people do with their penises, didn't you? I'm telling you that that's the only righteous message for this evil nation that has gone the way of the broke-back mountain. So, since spending a bit of time on St. Peter's naughty step, I understand you've thought a bit about how the United States is going. God's wrath is upon this nation. Trump's impact? Fire is coming out of his mouth. Fair to say that he's taking a dump on the country? A national movement. Agree with you there. Now, your son, Nate Phelps, is kickstarting a project about his upbringing, which can be found by searching Kickstarter for Not My Father's Child. This nation needs to be told that. Are you on board with such a project? Yes. Any final messages to the millions of people that you insulted back in the day? It's okay to be gay. Fred Phelps in heaven, thanks for joining us on The Herd Mentality. Thank you. And anybody that has just a little teeny-weeny knowledge of the Bible knows that that's the truth. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener-supported show and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalityPodcast.com and then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Herd Mentality for the first time in a very long time, and I've got Nate Phelps on the line with me. Nate, how are you? Well, how are you, Adam? I'm pretty good. I've had to cancel my holiday to Charlottesville. What's going on there? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. There's some people upset about burners taking their land or something. I'm not sure what's going on. Mm. I said it's getting ugly. Yeah, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. But for people who are unfamiliar with you, how would you best describe yourself? I am the uh, one of the children of Fred Phelps, who, uh, for those who don't know, is the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church slash God Hates Fags campaign. Mm. Um, but they, do, they go to the funerals of uh, soldiers and other... Uh, identifiable people and hold up their signs declaring God's wrath towards America because of their support for uh, equal rights for the LGBT community. Right, so he would have been right on board with Trump's tweet about uh, getting rid of the trans people out of the military? Yeah, that and and, uh, they've also, the Justice Department has moved to exclude protecting LGBTQ citizens under Title VII, pretty much on the same day that was announced about the transgender community serving in the military. So even though he specifically said that he was a friend of the LGBT community, he has done what pretty much everyone expected him to do and made them a target instead of supporting them. Mm. But Fred is no longer in the picture, I understand. No, he, he passed away March 2014. But we have nine of my siblings, nine of my 12 siblings are still there and they're still conducting the picketing campaign. Uh, they've been at it now since 91, so what is that, 26 years? Mm, it's a full-time job. They've got a lot invested yeah. in it. They've, they've certainly spent a lot of money on some placards and signs to hold up. Oh, yeah, they're, they're very professional. 
<laughs> you mentioned that there's well, the majority of your brothers and sisters who are remaining in the Westborough Baptist Church, but several of you have managed to escape, do a runner? Yeah, <laughs> I like the way you put that, do a runner. Yeah, it, it, two of my siblings, my, one of my older brothers and uh, one of my younger sisters also left, you know, in, in due time and have since, actually my oldest sister also left, but she can't seem to make up her mind, has left and gone back and left and gone back, and she's back in the picture there now. So actually there's 10 of, of them that are still there, and then three of us that have left and turned our back on the, that ideology. The odds are stacked against you. I don't know what hope you hold for the rest of your siblings letting that particular brand of religion die a, a slow, painful death, but you're actively... And, and you've campaigned and spoken at conventions and so forth about your experiences, but you sent me a message with a link to a little Kickstarter that you've got up and running. Yeah, I have for the last eight years actively campaigned against my family's message and in support of the LGBT community. And about five years ago, met Brad Johnson and his mother, Terry. It was an interesting situation. I, I had been invited to speak in, for an LGBT group in, in Lawrence, Kansas, just a half hour from my hometown, Kansas University is there, and, and that has been one of the favorite targets of my family over the years. But while I was there, I had a chance to have lunch with Brad and his mother, and they told me the story that, that Brad's mother had, at 52 years old, uh, after being married for years and then divorcing and raising three kids on her own, had reached a point where she was prepared and had made the steps and was within moments of um, ending her life before someone intervened and subsequent to that uh, she had finally uh, told her kids that she was a lesbian and brad had been so supportive of her he helped her do a short film telling her story that she then used to uh, help other people in the community and so that was kind of the backdrop and brad was a, a film student at kansas university and had long thought he wanted to do something uh, concerning westboro baptist church but had only just found out that there were some of us who had left. So uh, we talked about it. He pressed his case and convinced me. So we started down that road. And it's been been an interesting journey. We tried a Kickstarter early on, and but the goal was set too high, so we didn't hit it. And as you probably know, Kickstarter is an all-or-nothing proposition. So we didn't come away from that with any resources. So we spent the last four or five years taking opportunities when they came and doing a lot of the filming. And in that process, he was introduced to my uh, my brother and sister who had also left. So the original plan was just, or not my father's son, it was just going to be a, a documentary about me. Uh, but it has evolved and now it includes the, the other two siblings. And um, we've got probably 80% of the filming done. Uh, he's done a lot of work in, in finding people to help us do the editing and um, look for grants and that kind of thing. But we're at the point now where we're trying to finalize enough financing so we can be sure that this thing is going to be finished within the next year because uh, with what's been going on in the political climate, suddenly this uh, success that we had in the last eight or ten years is threatened again and the gay community has become a target once again. So It's timely. Um, it is. It, that's exactly right. The, the whole message of Turning your back on hate and, and supporting uh, equality and justice uh, is threatened again. That's why we're pushing on this on this new Kickstarter campaign so we can get this thing done. Mm. I will say that fifteen thousand dollar target is not a. 
that's a very, very modest target to do a film, certainly with the quality that one would expect when paying to go and see a film. You're already a third of the way there. The best way to go and support it, I think, might just be to throw in Not My Father's Child and Kickstarter or have a look at the documentary section under Kickstarter because, as we agreed upon just there, there's never been a better time to talk about treating people like human beings. That's right. It's an interesting dynamic that, we, you know, we've seen it before in history, most recently with the uh, civil rights efforts in the United States, right? You, you get some movement forward and there's always pushback and violent reactions from people who don't want that change. It's not surprising, but that doesn't mean you just say, okay, well, we just got to put up with it. You still have to fight it. You still have to recognize that if they get their way, they would go back to treating those people as second-class citizens. So we continue to fight. That's the, that's the bottom line. Mm. But on the left, we're fighting in a different way, uh, perhaps. I think more by protesting when need be, going and holding out signs that have the correct grammar and punctuation, trying to influence politics at a, at a different level without the threat of violence. I think that's the big one. Us, broadly speaking, on the left, don't necessarily go and uh, take up arms. An interesting point to make when this is really probably what needs to happen with what's going on in Charlottesville right this very second. But broadly speaking, historically, people are more interested in in achieving equality and civil rights progressions via culture. Culture, that's right. Uh, and, and, and entertaining people. Entertaining is important. What, something, just a little um, digression. I saw that Captain Planet was on Facebook replying to people and all of these people were astonished that Captain Planet was supporting the, the gay rights movement. They said, can't you just go back to protecting the planet? And he said, well, you know, we're all about equality. I am sort of a, a gay icon. And these people didn't realise that they grow up respecting this guy. <laughs> and get to a point where the, the culture had already infiltrated, but they just didn't get it. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that that's interesting. I'll have to go back and look at that now. <laughs> I think he's on our side. Well, and, and you have the, that, obviously that's a, a huge issue in Australia right now, right, is the, uh, is the efforts to get uh, a gay marriage in place there. Yeah. And I understand you're at a point of, of um, pushing for a vote. Yeah. Well, the term is plebiscite, but not many people know how to spell that or know what it means. A lot of people think that if they pick up a plebiscite, it'll bite them on the finger uh, because we're such a dangerous country. No, it is a vote. Essentially, we've got Tony Abbott, who was the Prime Minister of Australia, does not like the gay, (laughs) would have been a good half-brother for you. And then you've got Tony Abbott's sister, who's also in politics, and she's come out as a lesbian. She's also gay. And (laughs) there's this little interesting dynamic going back and forth uh, in the newspapers about what one says about the other's side, and they never really mention each other by name. But the postal vote, or the the vote that we're going to do, is technically not binding. Uh, it's an enormous waste of resources, and it's already opened up uh, the Australian equivalent to the Westboro Baptist Church to come out and promote their propaganda and get very angry about teaching school children that gay people are human beings. So we have a program in Australia called Safe Schools and they're they're not very happy (laughs) with that. So, yeah, the Australian Christian Lobby is the the closest equivalent we have. To the Westboro Baptist Church, eh? Mm. I think a a nice screening of your film 
down at the Australian Christian Lobby headquarters when it gets to its Kickstarter goal <laughs> would be a prudent move. Right. We've got about a month or six weeks before this vote goes to uh, goes out. There's going to be campaigning on both sides, and unfortunately, from the Bible bashing side, there's there's quite a bit of hatred coming out already. Although the funny thing is, the people spouting it don't see it as hatred. They don't see themselves as being in the wrong. They feel that they're doing the right thing. It's the, right. It, it makes for the best villain in a film when both the protagonist and the antagonist believe that they're fighting for something true and just. It's just right. that one of them slightly yeah. misguided. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And that's exactly what makes uh, my family so such a polarizing forces. That's exactly how they are. And they, they, they make no apologies, no bones about it. They are satisfied that they're in the right. And uh, they're not going to budge on it. You're right. It makes for some pretty uh, intense interactions and um, protests, right? Because oftentimes you get people at their protests now. Mm. That's one of the interesting dynamics over the years is is that rather than violence, as you mentioned earlier, people will show up there and, and there will be uh, counter protests with messages of love and, and uh, kindness. Probably the most pronounced example of that was just after my father passed. They showed up at a at one of their protests, and a group of people stood across the street from them with a big banner that said, uh, we're sorry for your loss, which was uh, pretty dramatic when you think about it, right? Mm. Uh, spouting hate and, and uh, rage towards something that they believe is evil, and uh, people aren't responding in kind. If we're, if we're unable to, because you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you and a couple of your siblings managed to... Uh, escape and move on but perhaps with this uh, with things such as this film that you're promoting and other cultural changes the the availability of information on the internet quite readily for example allowing younger people to to do more critical thinking is it the case that your nieces and nephews on the church side are, are distancing themselves or are they equally involved? Are we having an effect on the next generation? We are. In fact, we are. And, and there's a, a fairly large group of, of the next generation that has left. Not many of them have been public in their condemnation of that system. But a few have and have become very effective spokespeople in support of uh, equality and, and uh, such issues. Uh, specifically, my niece Megan, who was she was kind of a, she was highly visible as being groomed as the next generation for the, for the church, uh, and she saw she finally became aware that there you know, there were examples of infighting and destructive behavior towards each other in that in that church, specifically towards her mother. So that was the impetus for her and one of her sisters to leave, and now she has become a very outspoken in opposition to that message and, and in support of effective communication between the sides rather than just name-calling and, and creating more distance and more harm. Mm. So it is having an impact. A lot of them are leaving, and it's having an impact on the ability of the, of the church to get that message out as aggressively as they were before because they were relying on almost exclusively on the income of the people who were in that church, right? So as more of them leave, uh, the resources diminish, right? They have to reuse some of the older signs. <laughs> but, you know, they got to become creative and, they, and they're trying to, they, they try to create the illusion of size and power using uh, the internet and uh, other resources. But uh, people are getting wise to them, right? So the community and the, the country by and large is recognizing that their efforts are weakening, right? even if their will is still strong, right? 
Mm. On the death nails, I'm pretty happy about this. Go and have a squiz on kickstarter.com under the documentary section. And you're looking for Not My Father's Child. So okay. not just the son now. We've, we've moved up. There's more. I would say that's a good thing. That there's more of them now rather than just myself. One other point that I wanted to make, and you touched on it, or you were talking about something that reminded me of it earlier, is there's the option of violence to try to make your point stick. There's also the option of education. But probably the most effective way to change people's minds on on matters like this that are so profound and so um, intransigent is to uh, connect them with the people that they feel hatred towards. I see it again and again in my conversations with people in the gay community and, and with people who have changed their mind, that it wasn't until they met someone you know, where it was demonstrated to them that these people cared about them and had the capacity to be as human as they are, and suddenly their hearts change, and that changes their minds. So uh, that's another huge aspect of what we're trying to do with this documentary is to touch people's hearts by doing that with can change their minds. I'll give you a very brief anecdote here. So I've just come back from three weeks in France on holidays and I stayed with my host father, the one I call mum, because when I was 17 I went on student exchange with a, with a gay couple. It was a fantastic okay. year. So now that did cause a little bit of uh, tension within my family, knowing that I was going to be living with a gay couple. And very commonly I get asked you know, did did anything happen? I said, well, they, you know, they they took me clothes shopping. Does that, you know, <laughs> is that them trying to push the gay agenda? I don't know, but I, I more fabulously now is that uh, is that a symptom? Oh, you, you should see my swirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, it's so many assumptions, eh? Yeah. It's got to be more pervasive throughout culture. That's why I support projects like uh, Not My Father's Child that's up on Kickstarter. Go and have a look at it, guys. Nate, is there anything else you'd like to add? Back about, uh, I'm going to say it was probably late 90s. I was living in California at the time, and they had a, uh, a vote, and about 60% of the Californians said, no, we don't want gay marriage. And then I moved up to Canada. Uh, my daughter uh, had come of age when Proposition 8, which was a huge highly visible campaign in California in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, once again revisiting that question. And my, my daughter had, in the midst of a very conservative Orange County community, had stood on the street corners educating people. I mean, she literally had material and was saying, look, you know, this is what they're saying, this is the truth. And she really put a lot of effort into it. So she was extremely disappointed when it failed or when Proposition 8 was, you know, passed and uh, gay marriage was banned in California. And I had a long conversation with her. And the point I made to her, and I think this point is valid because of what's going on in Australia right now. The point I made is that we're on the right side of history. This will happen. Uh, it's just a matter of time. And I, and I pointed out to her, you know, only five, six years ago, it was a huge margin that was opposed to it. And now here we are. I think Prop 8 passed by only one or two percent. So we're close. And I think that People need to understand that, you know, if they're, if they're frustrated and scared and upset about what may uh, happen with this uh, plebiscite, what uh, efforts will be made by the government and other entities there to uh, prevent it, eventually it's going to happen. So just keep you know, fighting the good fight and uh, equality will come. I just wanted to finish on one little note. I, I put out a tweet the other day because I'd been reading all these articles calling it gay marriage, and you've referred to it as gay marriage. And I just wrote it, attention news headline writers, 
Can we call it marriage equality and not gay marriage? Makes it sound a bit gay instead of a bit equal. Yeah, that's a good point. Or we'd like, we can just call it marriage. Yes. A lot of people chimed in and said, well, I'm, I'm not going for a gay drive in the car this afternoon. I don't go and buy gay newspapers. <laughs> it's a good point, and it's a point that it, 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 it will evolve to that, right? Mm. But right now, we're in the midst of the struggle, and so we have to use the language that is that is uh, relevant to the struggle. And that's what we're fighting for is the is the right of people who have a different sexual orientation to marry the person that they want to marry. Bingo. Very well. So one final time, Kickstarter, and you're looking for Not My Father's Child, Nate Phelps, son of Fred Phelps, and a much better man. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate your help on this. And just for something completely different, here's a track called Liar sent in by herd mentalist Kevin Cunningham. Give him some feedback on Twitter at KR Cunningham. And Kev, thanks for sending it in. Stories 
Herd Mentalists, thank you for your patience while I took a break from the show and a special thanks to Simon, Patrick, Frankie and other Simon who all signed up to support the show at patreon.com slash herdmentality or sent me through some PayPal dollars at herdmentalitypodcast.com. Very much appreciated. Now, this episode was originally posted for Patreon supporters a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the interview might be a little dated, uh, such as the, the references to the GoFundMe uh, figures and so forth. So I'm now publishing it with revisions, uh, like a different sketch and different interlude. And don't worry, you won't be getting charged twice. 10% of the proceeds from the show go to helping women in developing countries to further their education via Kiva.org and the Herd Mentality lending team there. This episode, including previous repayments, we're supporting Sumera in Pakistan, Ola in Palestine, Teresita in Paraguay, Yanina also in Paraguay, Greta in Peru, Sali in Palestine, Jordan in Lebanon, Zamira in the Dominican Republic, Hala in Palestine, and Miriam in Paraguay. About half of these loans were matched by other Kiva lenders, doubling their effectiveness. So support the show, help other people, leave a review on the platform of your choice, just be nice. Now it's time to meet an old friend. You can find out more about him at championofreason.com. Despised by religious fanatics and purveyors of other nonsense, he stands on the side of science and battles for truth, justice, and the rational way. The friend of fact and the foe of folly, he is the champion of reason. a starry night, and the champion of reason and his friend Stephanie were seated by a campfire in a forest just west of Flathead Lake in Montana. The champ's horse, Argentum, and Stephanie's horse, Smokey, were about 50 feet away near their tents. <laughs> Stephanie was a reporter for the Missoulian newspaper and she was sent out on assignment because of a series of alleged Bigfoot sightings in the area. Should Bigfoot be spelled with a capital B? Stephanie asked while roasting a marshmallow. Not unless you're referring to a particular one by name, replied the champ, who was not roasting marshmallows because he was not a marshmallow kind of guy. But if you do that, then what would you call the other ones, since there would have to be a population to keep the hominid species alive and kicking? Well, I, for one, would not want to get kicked by a foot that big, Stephanie joked, being almost as skeptical about the existence of Bigfoots as was the champion of reason, who had assisted her in plain clothes with a camcorder for some of the interviews she had with people who claimed to have had very close encounters with Bigfoots, like the guy who claimed to have been raped by a female Bigfoot. I swear, as God is my judge, I ain't making this up. I may soon have a child out there. I don't care if it is hairy. We can always have hair removal done. But I want to make sure that it's brought up right and gets a good education. Stephanie, your marshmallow is almost in the flame. I like my marshmallows well roasted. But not that well roasted. 
She flung her marshmallow off her stick and put on another one. Funny that the fellow didn't say that the Bigfoot who raped him was wearing lipstick, earrings, and a necklace. Because we've got that one woman on record as saying that a Bigfoot broke into her house and stole her makeup and jewelry. I think she also mentioned a mini skirt, fishnet stockings, and stiletto shoes, and a Gucci bag. Anyway, if he did impregnate the female Bigfoot, I sure hope that the baby gets his brains from its mother. He passed a lie detector test. All that means is that he believes it's true. Unfortunately, belief in Bigfoots is not restricted to idiots like him. Many otherwise intelligent people believe in their existence. They've got absolutely no rational justification for believing it, but deep down, they just can't seem to let it go. So they try to rationalize it any way they can. They point to sightings up and down the West Coast, deep down in Texas, and all the way over in Florida. But here's a question for them. Are there many groups from coast to coast, or is there just one, or a couple, of migratory groups that really like to get around? Because no matter how big their feet are, it would take a long time to make it on foot from California to Florida and back again. Maybe they hitchhike. But there are no reports of giant hairy hominids standing on the side of the road with their big thumbs out. Maybe they jump freight trains. Yeah, maybe the scientific community should start questioning hobos. Unless hobos have suddenly stopped talking. But if there is a population of many groups out there, why haven't we found any physical evidence of just one Bigfoot? It doesn't have to be a carcass. I'll settle for a bone. And why isn't there just one good, credible photo? I mean, I don't need to see an excellent photo of a Bigfoot hitchhiking or riding in a boxcar. Whoa, your marshmallow! So, back in 1958... The prankster Ray Wallace used big carved wooden feet to make tracks here and there in Humboldt County, California. And several years later, he told the gullible Roger Patterson exactly where to go and where to point his camera. And lo and behold, we get the famous 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film showing somebody in an ape suit walking from left to right, like a human no less, and turning to look at the camera. Funny that the person in the ape suit didn't give the peace sign. The whole thing is an admitted hoax. But believers say that the admission of a hoax doesn't disprove that there might be some real live Bigfoots out there. Well, of course it doesn't disprove it. But a still photo from that 16mm film continues to be the quintessential Bigfoot photo. Aside from that one, all we've got are these shadowy images taken by photographers who don't seem to know how to focus. For goodness sakes, there are clearer images and photos taken by people who believe that Elvis didn't really die in 1977 and is still around and about. Now wait a cotton pick in Graceland Minute. Elvis is alive. I saw him the other day crossing the street in downtown Missoula. He's very old now and walking with a walker. How do you know it was Elvis? I saw his upper lip quiver and he was wearing blue suede shoes. What more evidence do I need? None. That proves it. You know, maybe after he faked his death, he went on to become a Bigfoot impersonator and spawned a whole generation of Bigfoot impersonators. Don't be cruel. I can't help it. I'm all shook up. But that should definitely be investigated. It's more plausible than the stuff that Bigfoot enthusiasts come up with. Some of them point at Gigantopithecus blackie, the biggest primate species that ever lived. They were about 9 or 10 feet tall and weighed about 1,000 pounds. Well, that's about the right size for a Bigfoot. 
but they became extinct about 100,000 years ago. Well, let me play the devil's advocate. You're the devil in disguise. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Anyway, maybe they didn't become extinct and some of them continued to exist. You mean like plesiosaurs in Loch Ness? Yeah. Even though Loch Ness is only about 100,000 years old and was frozen solid, part of a glacier for 20,000 years before that? Yeah. But Gigantopithecus blackie existed in Asia, not North America. Maybe they migrated to North America. Maybe they joined the first humans to cross over on the Bering Land Bridge about 12,000 years ago. But Gigantopithecus blackie didn't walk upright. Maybe they learned how to. That's all the Bigfoot cryptozoologists forgot. A bunch of maybes. They get back into corners and reach for straws, saying maybe this or maybe that. They had their chance when they answered the call by a team of scientists and submitted everything they had for DNA testing, which came down to 36 hair samples from museums and aficionados of Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, Abominable Snowmen, or whatever else you want to call them, collected over 50 years. And the results published in 2014 showed that every single one of them was from known animals, bears, wolves, and several others, ranging from a Malaysian taper to a porcupine to a hairy human in Texas. Hmm. Was Elvis hairy? I don't know. Maybe we should ask Priscilla. Hey, you're Marshmallow. Oh, darn. Some people believe that Bigfoots are supernatural or aliens. Yeah, and they've got the nerve to try to shift the burden of proof onto us. You know, Aristotle defined humans as rational animals, but he could have just as easily defined them as irrational animals. About 30% of Americans believe in Bigfoots. About 40% believe in creationism. Don't get me started on creationism, Stephanie. Did you hear that? What? That. Argentum heard it too. Argentum sure has better ears than Smokey. Maybe it's a female Bigfoot wearing makeup, lipstick, jewelry, fishnet stockings, a mini skirt and stilettos, and carrying a Gucci bag. Maybe she's coming after your burned marshmallows. Bigfoots love burned marshmallows. How do you know that they love burned marshmallows? Prove to me that they don't. Well, whatever it was seems to have gone away. Good. I'm going to go pee. Stephanie peed beside a pine tree. She had just pulled her pants back up when somebody, or something, grabbed her. And there was more than one. There were three of them. One had her by the head, one had her by the legs, and one had her around the waist with her arms pinned to her sides. And they ran with her through the woods. The one who had her by the head covered her mouth and she could feel a furry hand and arm. They took her to a cave that was about 50 feet deep, and then put her in a log chair, and tied and gagged her. By the light of a lantern, she could faintly see them. They had faces that looked very similar to reconstructed faces and images she had seen of Homo heidelbergensis the evolutionary ancestors of both Neanderthals and humans. Although Homo heidelbergensis became extinct about 200,000 years ago, some cryptozoologists point to them when trying to rationalize a direct link to Bigfoot. They were only about the size of modern humans, however, as were Stephanie's captors, 
two males and one female. Another big difference besides the size of Homo heidelbergensis and Bigfoots was that Homo heidelbergensis were not ape-like hairy. They were only about as hairy as Homo erectus, whereas Stephanie's captors were covered with thick brown fur from head to toe. She would have peed her pants if she hadn't just peed. All of a sudden, a sound came from the cave entrance, and in walked a unicorn. One of Stephanie's captors shouted, What the? Another one yelled, A unicorn! Stephanie knew that it was really Argentum, and that he had a spiraled horn attached to his forehead, for she had seen the Champion of Reason pull this prank before. Then came a shout from the cave entrance, Domino's Pizza Delivery! And in came the Champion of Reason on the unicorn. He dismounted and unsheathed his sword and marched straight at the three terrified captors who backed up against the back of the cave. He cut the rope that bound Stephanie and faced the captors again, swinging his sword as deftly as Bruce Lee used to swing a nunchaku. Please, don't kill us! We're not Bigfoots. No, we're We're just just people people dressed in Bigfoot suits. You don't have to tell me that. But now you're going to have to tell the world that. Stephanie, get the camcorder. It's on Argentum. Well, they got the best footage ever taken of Bigfoots, with the three of them taking off their Bigfoot suits and confessing to a string of Bigfoot hoaxes in the area. And the female even admitted to burglary, although she denied being a rapist. The video, with perfectly clear audio, was later posted on YouTube, giving credence to the feature story Stephanie ended up writing for the Missoulian. 